Hello everyone, this is Montgomery County Today, and I'm Durley with the Public Information Office. Thanks for listening. Today I'm talking with Animal Control Officer Lori Charette. Hi Officer Charette. Good morning. So Officer Charette joins us as part of a series of conversations with Animal Control about responsible pet ownership. As part of her work as an animal control officer, she makes sure people are abiding by county laws and ordinances as they pertain to their pets and domesticated animals. So Officer Charette, let's talk about some of the common reasons that you may need to go to someone's house to make a house call. Sure. Many of the reasons we go out to houses involve check the welfare type situations where we may get a a phone call about someone who's concerned about an animal. So we kind of call that a check the welfare. Perhaps the animal has no shelter or doesn't have food or water, seems to be ailing in some way, is sick, is exposed to all the elements. Perhaps they're undernourished. So there's a broad spectrum that falls under the check the welfare type of situation. There are other situations as well, like a dog running is running at large or an animal has been injured in some way and has ended up at somebody's residence and they can't take care of it and they need it, need to uh, get help for it. So there's, there's a variety of reasons. Uh, there's possible abandonment issues as well. If people go out of town and uh, leave their animals behind and something happens to the animal in the meantime, you know, we get phone calls for that as well. Okay. So what might a typical house call be like? What do you do and what might a person who receives a visit from you expect? We go out to the address and we knock on the door, uh, provided somebody answers. We identify ourselves as Montgomery County Animal Control and uh, greet the person and let them know the reason why we were there, uh, whether it was an anonymous phone call or we just happen to be, you know, be made aware of a situation. Uh, we let them know why, they're, why we're there, and we ask to see the animal in question. We address the situation. We may be asking them for records, shots records. Uh, we may be uh, asking them to access their backyard where the animal is um, to, to just check the animal, make sure it's in good health. We might be hands-on with the animal. We may not be. But nevertheless, we try to open a dialogue with that person and let them know that we are there to help them and their animal. Right. um, And to help them um, comply with the laws and uh, and the requirements for caring for animals. So it's, we try to take above all the educational approach. And, you know, sometimes that does lead into the uh, enforcement approach as well. But, you know, depending on the situation, uh, we just, we try to educate and bring people into compliance. That's, that's our goal. Sure. Yeah. So one of the things that you help as far as educating the public about their general care and treatment of animals is the type of shelter that they may need to provide. And also the things that they need to provide above shelter, which includes their food and water and that sort of thing. Talk about that a little bit and maybe the consequences if a pet owner does not meet those needs for the animal. Sure. So uh, what a legal shelter means is 
basically it's a it's a dog house there's different types of and styles of dog houses but it must have a roof three sides and a floor so the animal is not laying on the ground so there has to be a buffer between that ground and the animal so many people will make their own and that's fine as long as the animal can stand up you know turn around has a little bit of room in between to rest comfortably then then that could be a shelter there's a lot that you can buy the igloo type there's wooden there's all different types of dog houses as long as it has that roof floor and three sides you know and access um, then that usually is sufficient some folks have put out crates for their animals thinking that that would qualify as a shelter and it doesn't because it allows uh, for the wind and rain and weather to go right through right. and so that animal is not protected the animal if it's going to be an outside animal it needs to be protected and they need to have that shelter anytime the animal is outside and not attended to gotcha okay and in addition to providing proper shelter dogs need to be properly restrained Yes. There is not a leash law in the county. There is a running at large law. So that does mean that the animals need to be under the direct control of that person, whether it's the owner or the dog sitter or whomever. uh, They need to be under that, under control. Sometimes people use like an e-collar, a shock collar. Sometimes people, you know, just fence in their yards. Sometimes they, they don't. But as long as that dog knows the boundaries, but you can walk your dog down the road without a leash. I see. Okay. Okay. So, but in some towns, they do enforce the leash law. So it can get a little confusing, but in the county, we allow for that dog to be walked down the road without a leash. But the moment that that dog maybe sees a rabbit right. and takes off, yeah. um, that becomes a violation of the running at large law okay got it so if you're not controlling your animal after it sees a child a rabbit something a deer then that becomes a problem right because then you're not able to get your dog back on recall perhaps and now it's endangering itself and others that's the whole idea about the dogs running at large and protecting them so you, as an owner, I mean, it's really important that you have a high level of training. Yes. I mean, happening with your dog before you take it out without a leash, because obviously you you don't want it to, I mean, even for its own safety, you don't want it to just rush into the street or anything exactly. like that. And, exactly. Wow. Okay. And not too many people have that command over an animal. It, that's really hard to do when there's so many distractions. Right. So I, I myself rely on equipment, you know, my leash. I do too. (laughs) If I don't, I'm in big trouble. Right. (laughs) Um, So. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. So another law that applies to dogs concerns barking and noise ordinances and noise disturbances. Tell us a little bit about that and, and what role you may or may not play within it. We do get many phone calls in reference to dogs barking excessively. We use our discretion in addressing that because we do not have the authority to enforce the noise ordinances, okay? The local law enforcement handles the noise complaint. So they would be the ones to call 
the local authorities or the county authorities, whatever jurisdiction you're in, they would be the ones to really enforce that. Um, however, uh, many times there, there are reasons a dog is barking ex excessively. It could be that it's on a chain and it's caught up and it's now asking not able for help. Right, it's yeah. asking for help and it's not able to reach its water. You know, there's, there's a lot of complications with dogs being on chains. Uh, and getting tangled up. So there could be a real reason, and we would want to go out to that residence and check the welfare of that animal to make sure it is fine, it is safe. Uh, perhaps it's bored, and that's what it decides to do in the middle of the night, is cry out for help. It's bored. It wants to probably be inside with its pack, with its family. Sure. That's what they do. So that sort of circumstance we just use our discretion and how we get involved in that we can certainly make recommendations on uh, to people on how to hopefully curtail that type of a situation and it's for the uh, benefit of the neighborhood and for the animal because it's not healthy for an animal to be barking or whining or howling continually right it's trying to communicate with humans in right. some way it right. sounds like so all right, and just just to reiterate, though, as far as the law goes, if if that is a persistent issue, you you may say to folks when you visit, hey, you you may need to contact law enforcement at this point. Right, okay. and sometimes you know when we're even talking to them initially on the phone when they're calling, we will let them know that we're not able to enforce that noise ordinance, but to call the local authorities, but we would be happy to go out and check on the animal to make sure that it is safe and sound. Right. No, no other issues going right, on there. Right. Okay. So uh, there are other laws and things that responsible pet owners need to make sure that they take care of when they own a pet. One of those is licenses and vaccinations. And as far as the county is concerned, what are the requirements for licenses for animals? Okay, so for dogs four months or older, uh, they must have a county animal license as well as a current rabies vaccination. And actually, you're not able to get a license without a current rabies vaccination. Mm -hmm. So folks need to bring in their rabies certificate to the county treasurer's office or their local office and prove that rabies vaccination prior to getting that license. Licenses are, well, for the county, the licenses can be obtained at 755 Roanoke Street. That's the treasurer's office in the Montgomery County Government Building. Licenses for uh, spay and neutered animals are $5 a year, and for unaltered animals, they are $10 a year. So there's a little bit of an incentive there to get animals altered. Uh, licenses may be obtained, and they need to be obtained every year. So, for instance, this November, the county will start selling um, the 2019 tags, or the following year tags. Mm. So you can get a jump start on it somewhere in November, mid-November or so. But it is mandatory as of that new year, that January, that you get a tag for your animal. So if you adopt an animal in September, bring that rabies certificate down and you get your license for that year for September. You'll be following up the next year though with another tag. That tag is good for a year. Gotcha. I'd also like to point out if, if there are any folks that are closer to the Blacksburg Municipal Building, they also offer this service of where you can purchase your license there as well, which is 300 South Main Street in downtown Blacksburg. 
So obviously, because we are talking about rabies and vaccines and licenses, your animals have to have a rabies vaccine, and that leads to the animal license. But the laws that are that are here are not in place to restrict their owners and the animals, but to keep everyone safe. Let's kind of hit on rabies a little bit. And what are the ways that animals can transmit rabies to humans? Animals can transmit rabies to humans mostly through bites and scratches. Rabies can be contracted through the saliva. So it would mean that a person would have to have an open wound and that saliva that is infected with the rabies bacteria uh, would have to then have direct contact with that open wound. It's not particularly easy, but But it it can happen. I don't want people to be paranoid about it, but it, it can happen. Right. And oftentimes when we think of rabies, we think of a wild animal and that those animals can potentially transmit the virus to a human, but it's not just restricted to that, obviously, since we have to get our dogs and cats vaccinated. Exactly. Any mammal can get rabies. Uh, Most common wild animals that carry rabies, that we see rabies in, is raccoons, skunks, bats, foxes, and coyotes. Domestic animals can certainly get rabies, and the most common ones here in North America that can carry them are cats, dogs, and cattle. Um, that cattle part surprises me. Uh, it can be surprising, I know. Yeah. Yeah, it's kind of bizarre. Wow, okay. But um, if you think about it, cattle can be preyed on by those right. wild animals right. that okay. are more frequently carrying the rabies virus. Right. So that makes sense when you kind of think about it in that way. One, interestingly enough, uh, opossums rarely can carry rabies because their body temperature is too low to carry that bacteria in their body. I think their temperature is like somewhere around 97 degrees thereabouts. And so it's hard for them to get rabies and carry it. Wow. Because of the lower body temperature. So that's kind of a fun fact. I was going to say, look at this fun fact. (laughs) And their uh, research shows that it's difficult for birds, fish, reptiles, and amphibians to carry the disease. Okay. And... Really what we're doing when we get this rabies vaccine for our pets is making sure that we don't continue or or perpetuate the spread of it. Because if our dog happens to tangle with a skunk, then there's a possibility that our animal could then get bitten. Um, But if they have their vaccine, then they should be okay. Right. They're more or less protected. Now, if it's advisable, if you know that your animal has tangled with a wild animal potentially getting rabies that you bring your animal to the vet and get another booster at least entertain that idea communicate that to your vet my dog you know got sprayed by a skunk tangled with the skunk there is potential you know for that for that risk i would bring my animal to my vet and explain that and they would more than likely do the uh, provide, provide the booster right. just for that extra protection. Right. Because it is for the good of the animal as well as the, I mean, the public, the public health. Right. Right. So as far as, uh, let's say there was an issue, there may be some requirements for a quarantine. Let's talk about those for a little bit. What, what are the requirements of a quarantine if, if that may be the route that has to be taken? When an animal bites a person... In uh, the quarantine laws can, can vary a little bit, but when an animal bites a person, 
it is required to quarantine that animal most likely you know i mean for us it's dogs and cats uh, that we would quarantine for a bite and that would be a 10-day observation period quarantine period now depending on the situation the quarantine could take place here at our animal care and adoption center or whoever's you know jurisdiction it is Mm. or the animal can be quarantined at home so long as that animal can truly be watched and contained and controlled. All right. As far as rabies exposure is concerned, those exposures need to be reported immediately. Failure to do so, what what happens there if someone does not do that? Well, it would sort of cut down on the quarantine period, but we would be risking the health and welfare of possibly a person and or their animal. So the sooner we know about the exposure, the better because then we can report it to the health department. The health department can then do what they need to do and ensure that the animal is being quarantined per the law and that the public's safety is uh, being addressed. And they will usually go out and visit the home to where the animal is or where the person, the victim is. They fulfill their requirements. So it's sort of a multifaceted situation where animal control gets involved, health department gets involved. We're all concerned about the welfare and and keeping any of the disease from spreading. So what are some of the symptoms to watch out for? The symptoms to watch out for vary um, in from humans to animals. So I'll highlight uh, some of the symptoms for each. For human symptoms, generally there's fever, headache, excessive salivation, muscle spasms, pain, some paralysis, mental confusion, and delirium or hallucination. So it's pretty extreme, okay? Um, Sometimes there's some signals like tingling and twitching around the area of the bite initially that would give you an indication that there's trouble on the horizon. Yeah. Um, And, you know, the symptoms can appear from a few days to more than a year Really? Post a bite, yes. And uh, there's some research that has shown that there's been six to seven years time lapse between a bite and the symptoms. So people really have to be very careful and take it seriously when they get bit by an animal. For animals, generally there's, and we've seen this, you know, there's some delirium, there's hydrophobia, which means that they're afraid to go near water. Interesting. Yeah. Uh, sometimes the jaw looks like it's drooping or sort of dropped. So it looks odd, looks a little bizarre. Uh, there can be also paralysis, some seizures, uh, their inability to swallow correctly. And probably the most common that people will see is the animal appears to be mad. You know, they're, they're at risk for biting further and, and risking, you know, other life. So they may really try to continually bite or fight the whole process. So of, a lot of aggression. Uh, right. And then there's also pika, which is when an animal wants to eat things other than what they should be eating. Just really bizarre. Yeah, strange behaviors, strange it sounds behavior. like. Right. This is... Rabies is a viral infection that hits neurologically. So it is, it's in the brain. And of course the brain, you know, manages the function of our bodies. So things really go haywire. Right. 
when there's rabies in the system. So you definitely want to make sure as a responsible pet owner to take care of getting rabies vaccines for your pets, for sure. So thanks again, Officer Charette, for joining us today. Don't forget, Animal Control is here to help protect you, your pets, and our community. If you're interested in learning more about animal control and tips for responsible pet ownership, visit our website at montva.com slash animal control. Among the helpful information on the page are links to county ordinances as well as some printable guides that you can share with your neighbors and friends. Again, that's montva.com slash animal control.